Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I'm Chris DeSantis and this is a solo cast. This is basically a bonus podcast. Um, It's also going to be available on YouTube and uh, people who listen frequently know that I put stuff up that's uh, positive psychology based content as uh, bonus content. I run a business, Chris DeSantis Coaching, where uh, the biggest thrust of everything that I'm doing is built around positive psychology. How can you incorporate it into sport? What applications does it have in sport? I work with teams. I work with individuals. I coach people one-to-one. And today I want to talk about the topic of, quote, why don't people want to work hard anymore? Because I think this is one of the most misunderstood concepts in sports. First off, you know, I I say it for those of you listening to the audio versions, I say it in that tone of voice because I don't really agree with the premise of it, but I also understand why a lot of people might say some variation of that statement. So I'm going to get into a little bit um, where I see that coming from and then a bit of what I think the potential Um, of this situation is going forward, because I actually see great potential in this uh, for people that can understand actually what's going on and then make a plan for what to do after you sort of accept, (laughs) accept reality and accept what, what, uh, what's going on and what you're experiencing in the sports world. Um, And as I like to do, uh, I'm going to start by telling a story. And it's actually a story from the beginning of my coaching career. I, uh, very early on, was essentially a volunteer. I always say this, essentially a volunteer coach at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, In Philadelphia, it is an Ivy League school. And an important part of this story uh, is not to brag about working at an Ivy League school, but to understand that uh, the Ivy League schools compete at the highest level of uh, college sports in the U.S. They're a Division One, uh, but they are unique, uh, mostly unique, in that they don't offer athletic scholarships. So, um, what does this mean? Well, you know, just to sort of not back out too far on athletic scholarships. Athletic scholarships um, in other Division One or Division Two contexts are scholarships that are given on the basis of your athletic ability, and they are somewhat tied to. Although a lot of this landscape is, is changing, even as we speak, they are tied to uh, your ability to perform well in the sport that you've been given an athletic scholarship for. And, um, but Ivy League schools don't have these. Uh, And that creates kind of a unique situation for Ivy League schools. And it created a unique situation for us at Penn in that, how do you recruit? Because for a lot of schools that have athletic scholarships, their recruiting is either based on, yes, to a certain extent, especially in the sport of swimming, you're attracting people who you're, either not going to put on scholarship or put on a very, very limited scholarship because you're trying to fill out a roster. In Ivy League schools, 
the biggest carrot that we had was admissions. Um, and that presents a very unique situation uh, in comparison to schools with scholarships because a scholarship is an ongoing thing. So in terms of a carrot that you're offering for people to participate on the team that you're in, um, you have that and you can always take it away. Now, taking it away is is not as easy as, um, you know, flicking a switch, but you can take it away. You have that power um, as a as a coach. Um, and actually, if you're feeling less empowered to do that, then this story is really for you because at the Ivy League schools, what we had was admissions. Well, once somebody is admitted to a school, that's not something that uh, the swim coach, for instance, has any power to rescind. It's not as if um, we could recruit somebody and uh, they, they, you know, committed and sort of got into our school with our help. If they didn't want to show up to the first day of practice, they could just not show up to practice. They'd still get to attend Penn and still, you know, attend Penn on the same terms that they had gotten uh, when they were admitted. And this meant very, very purely that the kind of athletes that we had on the team, they really could choose. I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I'm a person who argues that even athletes in a scholarship context are making a choice, but there was, I would say, um, uh, they already had the carrot in their back pocket and there were very few sticks we could apply in that context. And looking back, I am really happy that I started my career this way. Because when I when I think about, you know, whether or not people want to work hard this day, I think we're we're phrasing that statement without understanding what's really going on is that a lot of the motivational techniques that have been handed down, and I'll get into this in a second, handed down in sports are rooted, they're stick approaches. They are ways to punish, intimidate, or frighten people into doing things. And as I said at Penn, we didn't have a lot of those. So uh, it was on us as coaches, if we wanted people to do things that we thought would help them to be better at swimming, to be more competitive, to help us win as a team, we had to come up with different motivational tactics. We couldn't just use a lot of, again, what is very rooted in the sporting world, which is stick-based or negative-based um, motivational tactics. Um, and to understand why those tactics are so predominant in the sporting world, you have to understand, I guess, also how knowledge, <laughs> um, how, how, how knowledge is shared in, in the sporting world um, and how people learn how to coach and how to be athletes. 
I was having a great conversation with a coach that's, uh, I guess almost 25 years older than me recently. And, um, you know, I think it's always good to get a cross generational perspective because when you find things that you can agree on, they're more likely to actually be true. And this coach said to me, um, that what she was really missing was, uh, or what she thought a lot of younger coaches were missing was they, they didn't have the same opportunities that she had as she was learning, uh, learning to become a coach, to get knowledge directly from other coaches, that they had become estranged from all these processes whereby you would have, you know, been face to face with another coach. And that's sort of how you would have learned. And I think that you know, that probably is a lot obvious to a lot of us as we look at our sort of increasingly virtual world. And there's ways in which we're replacing that really well and ways in which we're not replacing it well. But a lot of how people coach is, is handed down person to person. You know, you've seen somebody else coach that way or, um, You've, you've, you've yourself experienced them coaching you that way. And that is sort of overwhelmingly what people know when it comes to coaching. And um, I think because we're human beings, and another thing I've talked on a lot here is that uh, most of us human beings have a predominant um, negative motivational bias. That is, we tend to motivate ourselves through negativity. Then we also project that negativity outwards in the way that we try to motivate other people. And we've been doing so for a really long time. And therefore, a lot of that uh, that way of motivating has become the de facto strategy for motivating in a sport context. And if you want to be, it's pretty obvious that if, if you want to be really successful, if you want to hold a really high standard in the way that you go about doing a sport, you're going to need a ton of motivation, right? It's not, it's not a matter of like, oh, I guess I'll just, you know, practice when I feel like it, when, when the mood strikes me, right? You're going to need a lot of consistency in order to do the work that you've got to do to be able to beat the people that you want to beat or achieve the result that you want to achieve. So you're going to need, I, I keep saying need, even though I don't want to say the word need, you see, that's even in my own language, this is an example I, of embedded negative motivation. I keep using this term need when the reality is right. Nobody needs to play sports and nobody needs to achieve a certain result. And therefore you don't need the process either. Um, these are all things that we are voluntarily deciding to construct 
for ourselves. Um, and the difference between those two things is the difference that I'm hinting at in terms of motivation. I think we have a generational conflict playing out where each successive generation, uh, they are less motivated by uh, negative motivational tactics. And, and yet the people that are trying to motivate them, the coaches, the leaders um, within these sporting organizations, what they know from their own experience is a lot of these negative motivational tactics. And so that when they try them and then they're not the people that they uh, are trying to motivate are not motivated, the explanation that often comes out the other end is these people don't want to work very hard. You know, in, in, in my day, you know, the coach could scream at all of us and we respected him for that. And, you know, like it, 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 even as I say a story like that, like if you can manage to slow yourself down and, and realize what you're actually saying, you know, um, you may get closer to the root of why you think people on your team don't want to work hard. The other factor in this that really has everything and nothing to do with coaches and the way that coaches interact is that um, the people that you are coaching, the athletes that you are coaching, I think have way less sort of natural processes in life that would mitigate some of that negativity. Like, so the, that negativity exists for a good reason, historically, right? It exists, I think, my, my theory on it always is that it exists to help you deal with actual need situations, actually like situations of survival. But if we look in an athletic context, most of us are not dealing with actual need situations. And so we've got this, we've got this process that's going unused. Our brain doesn't like that. So it goes, where can I, where can I adapt this process? Oh, I know. What do you care about? You know, that must be the thing that's life or death. Well, it's sports. So I'll apply all that negativity. So I, I do see that, um, the young people who are primarily the people who play sports are increasingly um, are increasingly negative, but it's because they exist in an environment where the natural processes for um, essentially engaging some of that negativity productively are are gone, and that's actually a good thing, right? It's a good thing that we're not most of us anywhere close to fighting for survival. That's wonderful. But what's not wonderful is when we are um, <laughs> just trying to do swim practice on a Thursday night and our brain is activated as if we are fighting for survival.
because it doesn't, it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually apply to the situation. Our, our brain can't move on um, because it's not actually a life or death situation. So we can get stuck in really, really negative patterns. And I see a lot of athletes that are stuck in a really negative pattern, or they're trying to summon up a ton of motivation to do the things that they want to do, right? But they don't need to do, do the things that they want to do. And then possibly they have a coach who's trying to help them with their motivation, but the motivational tactics that they have are without even them knowing it, right? Are embedded with this sort of historically passed on negativity. Now, I'm probably going to piss a lot of people off by saying this, but I would even go so far as to say um, trying to motivate an athlete, right, by saying, if you don't do this, you won't achieve your goal. Or even this is what you need to do to achieve your goal. You've, you've engage, you're, you're engaging in a negative motivational tactic. Your, your, your intention may not be negative. Your words may not even necessarily come off to you as inherently negative, but what you're, what you're communicating at a base level is do this or else something bad is going to happen. And that is a negative form of motivating people. It might even, it might even, you might, you, of course, you may be listening to this going like, yeah, but it's true, Chris. It's true. If they, you know, they need to work hard. They need to, right? They need to work hard. If they want to achieve their goals. But it's actually, it's not true. And it's a negative framing. It's not that they need to. It's that. Doing that thing, let me state, restate it the same way in a positive manner, that doing the thing that you are suggesting they do because you can't compel them. At the end of the day, thank goodness, you can't make them. So you are suggesting and you are trying to motivate them to listen to your suggestion and take your suggestion on because what you are suggesting will make it more likely let me repeat that again. What you are suggesting will make it more likely that they will achieve the thing they are trying to achieve. So if you do nothing else, if you find yourself in a situation where you're wondering why somebody that you coach, okay, you know, they've got these high expectations for themselves. They've got high goals, right? They'll come into your office and, and probably say something which you might be thinking in the back of your head, like, that's going to be almost impossible to achieve. And then the level of work that you're seeing from them doesn't make you think that they are likely to achieve that thing. That's where you want to dig in. 
Think about the way that you are motivating them. How are you helping them with the way that you communicate with them to summon motivation to do all the things that they want to do? And then be able to start a conversation with them and hear what is it they are tapping into. And I guarantee you that 99% of the time, what you will find out when you ask those two questions is that because I am, I, I have asked this question to myself a number of times and what I've discovered is that in, in every situation, I am defaulting to negative motivation when I get frustrated, when I lose my patience, when I become emotionally overwhelmed because I care about what I'm doing. My go back and I default to a um, negative motivational tactics. I do. And um, they're working less and less and they don't, they shouldn't work. <laughs> it's not in the long term, it's not healthy for them to work. And then when I have a chance to talk to athletes and actually dig layer after layer deeper on how it is they are motivating themselves, what I find again, I don't know, I would, I would say it's a hundred percent because I'm having a hard time thinking of when I haven't discovered this. Um, 100% of the time, I discover that their process for motivating themselves is also almost overwhelmingly negatively based. That when they reach that breaking point of their motivation, what they are doing is applying that, I call it the cattle prod to the brain, okay? They're just sending that jolt through, like you need to do this right now. And it might work. It often does work situationally, locally, very specifically, might motivate you to do the one thing. But over time, globally, okay, generally, it inhibits their motivation because it's, it's self-inflicted pain. <laughs> and your brain is going to, if you keep tapping into pain to motivate yourself, Sooner or later, all your brain is going to associate with the task that you nominally want to do is pain. It's going to say, this is painful. And the next question in the long term, the brain is going to ask, why? Why are we doing this? If all there is is pain on the other end, you know, why are we doing this? Um, and I think that's where a lot of people end up stopping doing something that at some point prior to that, they would have said, I love this. And this is what I want to voluntarily spend a ton of my time doing. So those are my thoughts on the statement. People don't want to work that hard anymore. Please, if you're listening to this, 
I always love hearing from other people. I love to have a conversation. I love to be challenged. Okay. So um, if you're out there and uh, you found some of this thought provoking, even if you found it thought provoking in, uh, in a uh, negative context, I'm really happy to hear from you. Um, for more podcasts, you can uh, subscribe on Spotify, also on Apple podcasts. Um, there's a video version of this on YouTube. You can, that's the best place if you want to engage and want to get into the comments and say something, speak your mind. Um, and for more positive psychology based content, you could go to Instagram, Christy underscore coach, Facebook, Krista Sanis coaching. Um, and I'll be back again later in the week with uh, my normal podcast host, Joel. So I'll see you then.